I'm excited this morning to get into uh, this second part of our Job series, and uh, I was uh, looking at the title that I had today, and it's it's called uh, A Really Bad Day, and then I was thinking, but today's my dad's birthday, and so I feel bad saying a really bad day on my dad's birthday, but anyway, that's still nonetheless the topic this morning as we're in this series in Job, Uh, and I just want to ask the question for those of you that are here, if you can remember in your lifetime a really bad day. I mean, a real, and I'm not talking, when I say bad day, I'm not talking about a sprained ankle or a parking ticket. I, I sometimes hear somebody talk about like, you know, I had this day and I couldn't find my car keys all day. It was a really bad day. I'm like, no, that, that, that's not a really bad day. When I'm talking this morning about a really bad day, I'm talking about a day that kind of redefines the years that follow. You know what I'm talking about? One one of those days that is kind of locked in your memory from that point forward, so devastating that you're just trying to wrestle through how you move forward. Some of us in this room, I imagine, have had some of those days. Some of us in this room have not had those days, so this might be a a tuck in the, the belt for later kind of a message. But either way, I was introduced to one of those days through actually my cousin Scott this past summer. I got word that his son Josh and his fiance Amber, just this past uh, July it was, uh, were in a really terrible motorcycle accident. And upon, uh, upon uh, impact, Amber died immediately. Josh went on to live just a, a couple of weeks following that. Well, I will never forget standing in the hospital with my cousin, his name's also Scott, talking with him and just literally standing feet away from the bed of his son in a coma, trying to think through what, what do you say in those moments? I would suggest there's not a lot you say. There's a lot more just hugging and, and tears attached to those really bad days. One of those days that in that case left a one-year-old and a six-year-old without parents. One of those, those days that redefines kind of every day from that point forward. Well, Job, as we'll see in the text this morning, had one of those days that would define his life moving forward. One of those days that we have all kinds of trouble making sense out of, how could God allow this to happen to me? You've heard the expression before, 10% of life is what happens to you, and 90% is how you respond to it. And as annoying as that statement might sound at some points in your life you're like oh thanks for that there captain obvious but uh but as much as we hate to hear that statement it really is a true statement it really is it's so much of our life is in response to the things that that happen to us and often the tragedies that come our way and the question is how do you keep praising god amidst our pain how do you how, how does my cousin scott keep praising God amidst that kind of pain. I'd suggest this morning that it's not a morning of all kinds of quick antidotes or quick fixes, but we do get a chance to look at the life of a man named Job and how he responded to his pain, how he, he, uh, how the 90% of his life was defined, I imagine, by his response to his pain. I want to pray because I believe God has some lessons for us in this text. God, we ask this morning that you'd speak to us through your word, and we recognize fully that this is a a tough topic as we're dealing with pain and 
loss and tragedy. But I do believe that you're a God that's sovereign and reigning over all and has a purpose in our pain. Pray that you teach us from this text, God, that I would get out of the way and you'd be able to speak and meet people directly where they're at. I know that there's people right now in this room who are in the thick of it, in the middle of their trial, in the middle of their pain. God, I ask that you'd meet them right where they're at this morning and you'd be a, this would be a word of encouragement, a glimpse of somebody that responded in a marvelous way to pain. God, teach us through your word. We invite you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So last week, if you remember if we, where we left off, we were in this, this throne room discussion where Satan was asking or putting the, the gauntlet out, ch- charging that the only reason that Job was following God is because of this hedge of protection that had been put around him. He was just blessed and had all these good things, and he suggested, you know what, you take away some of that stuff, and he's going to curse you to your face. And so you remember God's response. He says, all that he has is in your hand. In other words, giving the opportunity to test the authenticity of Job's faith. Giving the opportunity to to see really what Job was made of. And if you're like me, you're somebody that doesn't necessarily like tests. Anybody here, like remember the the school days was just like dreading the the finals, remember finals week, and you're just like, oh, this is just torture. Like, no sleep. I remember all these nights in Denny's with a Grand Slam breakfast and the all-nighter, and you're feeling nauseous in the morning going to class because you've had like one hour of sleep. But you knew, even as much as you hated the tests, you knew the reason behind them was to see what you've learned, was to see where you're at, what, what has sunk in, what hasn't sunk in. It was the, the moment of truth, if you will, And the same is true for us spiritually. Often, not always, often God uses tragedy and trial. We saw even last week from a a, a 10,000 foot perspective, often he uses it in testing us to see where we're at and our relationship with him. Like one pastor explained the faith exam, some questions that were pushed to ask during trial, do you believe God is in control? You believe God is in control. Will we even acknowledge him in our circumstances that he, he, things aren't spiraling out of control? Will we respond and appropriately acknowledge that he's in control? And probably the, the bigger question that that leads to is, is God good? That's, a lo- that, that's one that a lot of us get stuck on in our tragedy and our trial. You're like, oh, I, I acknowledge that he's in control, but I don't know about the good part. And then even maybe the graduate level response is, will you wait on God by faith until his goodness is revealed. You wait on him in faith until his goodness is revealed in tragedy because so seldom in the middle of our trial do we see exactly what God is teaching. Anybody that's lived a little while can attest to that. When you're in the thick of it, man, you rarely see what he's trying to say. But usually when it's in the rearview mirror or maybe you've been in it for a while, finally it starts to be, oh, maybe that's what God was up to. Maybe that's what he was doing in my life. Maybe that's what he was trying to shape. That's what he was forming in my life. Those are some of the faith exam questions, if you will. You see in this story we're about to dive into, man, he was pushed to the ultimate extreme as he was exposed to unbelievable tragedy to wrestle through the God trust test. And this is the test 
that most of us in our life, if we haven't already experienced it, will have those times where you will be forced to answer that question. Do I trust God even when I can't make sense out of my circumstances? Take a look with me in chapter 1 of Job. We're in verses 13 through 19, and I'm going to kind of summarize some of it for the sake of time. Working through these verses, Satan doesn't waste any time. He moves directly to have as much negative impact in Job's life as possible. In other words, as soon as he got the green light to, to inflict suffering, he's like, man, I am, I'm doing this to the, to the T. And there's just wave after wave out of, of devastating news, four different messengers coming with reports. And you can read along with me in the, the text and see some of these, verses 14 through 15 refers to, we mentioned he was a, a rancher, his oxen and his donkeys were all stolen, and his servants who kept them were all killed. So that, was, that, was, that was report number one. He's like, man, and, and it's fascinating to me that you notice, what is it, who does the text blame on? It says the Sabaeans actually are the ones that took it. Those would have been Arabian nomads who raided to increase their wealth in that time. And you think about it, when you're starting to understand how Satan works, often he uses people to impose the wickedness he wants to do in your life. That's a, that's a wonderful tool for us to understand, that sometimes somebody, whether they realize it or not, is literally a pawn of the enemy in your life. That's one of the resources that he leans into, he does with this neighboring group in that example. The second messenger comes and we see that the second messenger came literally before the report of the first one had finished. This was like Satan's ultimate masterpiece. I'm like, I'm going to schedule this so perfectly that all of this bad news hits Job at the exact same time. Anybody else here in this room seen how that works in your own life? Doesn't it seem like it, it typically comes in waves? You're like, man, I hadn't even gotten up from the first punch before the second one came. Any amens? We can be charismatic for a second. There, there we go. Uh, but, but think about that. The, the, the second one comes, he, 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 he points to what had happened, that the fire of God destroyed all his sheep and those who tended them. A fire of God, we don't know exactly what that's referring to. Most likely lightning or maybe as an Elijah style, just fire from heaven. We don't, we don't know. But the other observation I make there is one of the things that our enemy's disposal is natural disaster. Sometimes we watch the news and we're like, how, how are all these terrible things happening? Because we're on a planet where the enemy has reign over people and weather fascinating to even think about that the third messenger came to report that a raiding party had stolen his camels and killed all his all his servants that cared for them so just this like wave after wave basically as a rancher right now all that he ranched is that the right word for it all that he took care of is now immediately gone like, it, it's literally, it's not like, oh, some of it, I lost a couple goats, you know, like, literally, like, it's just wiped out. And if that wasn't bad enough, the worst of the news came from the fourth messenger in verses 18 and 19. The most devastating report, a wind had struck and collapsed the home of his eldest son, where all of his children were gathered. Can't even fathom that. 
Again, we see natural disaster used in that instance. Can't even imagine that. How would you respond as a parent? I have three kids, Chase, Alexa, Sienna. How would I respond to that kind of news that literally all of my kids were killed? Can't even fathom what kind of response. What could you muster up in that moment? What could you, how could you respond in a God-honoring way? I have no idea how he does, how he does it. Typically, we respond with anger, bitterness, blame, all of those things. I found an interesting paraplegic Johnny Erickson Tata says, the devil is constantly looking for people he can tempt to blame God for their circumstances. Constantly looking for people that they can cause them to blame God for their circumstances. And the question is, how will Job respond? Take a look at me in your your Bibles. It's a lot easier if we look at this together. Verse 20 of Job 1 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Unbelievable response there. Unbelievable. Like, just staggering. The first thing that you notice is that it says that he arose. Arose. I, I found that fascinating that I imagine after the wave of, uh, of the bad news, he had he'd literally collapsed. So he's, he's on the floor, and so he's, he's responding, he's standing up, and, and the, then what does it say that he did? He tore his robe and shaved his head. I'm not really sure where the shaved head part comes into it, but, uh, but I'm guessing that that was a sign of extreme grief. Like that, and here's the important thing that I want to point out, observation in that section, is giving ourselves permission to mourn. Sometimes I think that people are confused in this as Christ followers. Like, you know, after a tragedy, we want to move on to like, hey, get your chin up, you know, you got Jesus. And you're just like, man, no, that doesn't change that this stinks. This is hard. This is miserable. Like, I didn't invite this. I didn't want this. I accept this. But it doesn't change the fact that it's miserable, that it's miserable. I'd like to suggest for us that maybe some of us that are in the midst of it to give yourself permission to mourn, to grieve, to be saddened by our circumstances. The reality that we talked about last week that we're living behind enemy lines and things get kind of hairy here on planet Earth. They get kind of miserable. But what's fascinating and what doesn't make even any kind of sense in the natural is his response to immediately, what does it say in the text there? Fell on the ground and worshipped. Fell on the ground and worshipped. Amidst his suffering and pain and grieving, he didn't lose sight of his God. He didn't lose sight of his God. And I believe that's so critical for us during difficult seasons of our life. It's okay, we can mourn, we can grieve, but don't lose sight of our God. And I, I think it's fascinating that his graduate level response he says naked i came from my mother's womb and naked shall i return what is what is he getting at there what's the what's the point that he's making you guys just as you're you're reading that is this what's this all this talk about naked like what's what's that he's saying basically the summary is this i have i told you this is graduate level i have no 
rights. Wait a second. That's hard. Last, last week we, we talked about this in, in, in church that this, uh, certain pieces of Scripture don't settle well with culture. We're in a culture that loves to talk about all of our rights and all of the, all, all the things. that You see, there's a culture of entitlement that we're wrapped with, but this is what, why I said graduate level. Job recognizes that God doesn't owe us anything. Wait a second. That's kind of hard to swallow. That's, that, that's the exact opposite message of what I'm hearing in the world around us. And fight for your rights and, and, and all of that. It's the exact opposite message. Yet, that's what he clung to. Recognizing that we don't leave with anything. We came naked. We leave naked is his point. That, that's how it works. We don't take any of this. So if in that time period of nakedness, in between nakedness, if God chooses to take away something... That's his prerogative. That's his choice. You see, we get into trouble when we start thinking of ourselves as the source of what we have. When we start looking across the landscape of all that we have and, and we start thinking, I did this to deserve this. I worked at that. That's mine. And when we move to graduate level godly thinking, we say, you know what? It all came from him. None of it came from me. That's what he points out, this extreme level of maturity. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, recognizing him as the source. So a pretty uh, awesome response. Now I'd suggest that we don't just learn something from what he said. We also learn from what he didn't say. We so quickly in the midst of our trials want to fast track into the one question that can cause us all kinds of grief is the question, why? Why? You notice he didn't, he didn't move there. He didn't move there. He didn't fast track there like his friends are about to in the next couple weeks as we explore. He didn't move to that question. He instead chose to just remain under, to remain under the circumstances. There's a, a beautiful passage in James 1. You guys are probably familiar with it. James 1, 3 tells us on the screen Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness. That's not really necessarily a word we use in the, the everyday. My former pastor that I was under in Chicago, James McDonald, taught me just, he's explaining that this word steadfastness is probably one of the most critical words in understanding our our, uh, our response to suffering and tragedy comes from the Greek word. Are you ready for your Greek lesson for the morning? Hypomene. Say that to your neighbor. Hypomene. There's the hypomene. The two, basically, two word parts to that. Hypo means remain. Mone means under. The outcome of our trials is for us to become more and more steadfast. The ability... To remain under. Their ability to remain under. Can I ask you, Jeremy, to be a quick illustration for me? Stand in front of me for a second. Okay, so look at, look at all these lovely people. Now, when I'm doing this, your natural inclination would be, if you are logical, would be to want to get out from under that. Would be, would, would be the, okay, thanks for the bad illustration. Well, the steadfast, just teasing, good job, Jeremy. Uh, the, the idea of being steadfast is this idea 
that you choose, even though that weight is heavy and miserable, you're like, you know what? I'm going to stay under it. I'm going to remain steadfast, remain under that, because I know that God's doing something bigger than this. If a trial has gotten to you, if a trial has made it all the way down the the line, you know it had to be requested if you're a follower of Christ. You know it had to be approved. And you know that there has to be a purpose behind it, which then moves us logically to thinking, well, why would I want to rush out from under it? We cause so much craziness in our attempts to wiggle our way out of trial. And God's like, no, I have you in that for a purpose. I'm doing something in your life. That's what comes when we remain steadfast. And that's the lesson that's demonstrated in the life of Job. I was thinking about an illustration of of that. Even my uh, couple friends of mine, John Lopez and uh, Johnny Murphy, we go to the gym and we discover kind of how weights work. How do weights work? You see, at the first time you lift some weights and it's really hard. But the next time, because you successfully lifted that weight, a little bit easier kind of runners feel this with uh, with cardio stuff you like this principle the more you remain under the more you're able to withstand what comes next stuff that you couldn't do this time because you persevered through it you're able to do next time that's one of god's plans in the life of his children when they remain steadfast is that they'd be better equipped to exist in this extremely difficult world so we see in the text that he it said it brags on job uh, pretty awesome and all this job did not sin or charge god with wrong pretty awesome uh kind of summary so because of that we see round two bad days don't always just come in ones round two his second really bad day in other words after a period of time Satan, when he didn't get his desired results, Satan said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and make another charge against him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make another attack against him because clearly what I tried the first time didn't work. So basically we have that whole throne room scene repeated. God, hey Satan, what are you up to? You know, just at the mall. You know, we talked about that last week. And then he, then he, he says, but, but he, he starts with his accusations in, in chapter 2, verse 4. It says, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Listen to this, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Unbelievable. Like another really, really bad day. You see what happened is the Satan goes before God and he realizes that his his attempt at taking away his possessions hasn't worked. So what does he suggest? It's like, listen, man, if you take, if if you, he'll do fine if you just do his stuff. But if you actually inflict pain on him, man, then he's going to curse you. In other words, the same argument. Your relationship with man is a sham once you take away your goodness and your protection. Kind of the same, different 
a different idea, a different presentation, saying, listen, if you take that away, if you take that, he says, uh, all that a man has, he will give for his life. In other words, man's motivation is not because he wants a relationship with God. Man's motivation is self-preservation. You take that out and you're going to get it from Job. And what does he say? He says, okay, well, go ahead. You can do anything you want, just don't kill him. And what does he do? It describes that he gave loathsome sores. Now, I don't know really what a, a modern equivalent is of that. Uh, Daniel Thompson gave me a, a picture of this. I'll, I'll show you. I, I did a, a, a Google, uh, Google search on different diseases and different skin things. I don't recommend that Google search, by the way. I would avoid that. Uh, don't type that in your computer. Uh, but point being is that Satan came up. He didn't, he didn't come up with lots of things. He just went for one shot, one shot. And it's a pretty all-inclusive one. What does it say? From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he was literally covered with this. In fact, in verse 12, we find out that his friends didn't even recognize him. That's the, to the degree that this is on. And imagine that picture. He's taking pieces of broken pottery. Like, what kind of place do you have to be? You're taking broken pottery and just, just scraping at yourself. Just scraping at yourself. We're, we're so quickly to say, you know what? I, I lost my car keys. I feel like Job. And you're like, no, no, no. Uh, that, 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 that's, that's not it. That's not it at all. That's not the picture we see in Scripture. We see the ultimate example of just horror in the life of an individual as he's there mourning and reflecting on his loss of his family his kids everything he has then all of this starts to happen to how in the world would you respond to this how would you respond it's it's unbelievable to think how i would respond i can't say that i would hope to respond as positive i would hope that i'd respond positively we look here in verse 9 I put this as uh, response as, plural, because we're going to see not just his response, but also the response of his wife. Satan's attacks were uh, directly against Job, but you imagine this is also influencing his, his wife. And look at her words in response. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Hmm. Huh. Do you think that was the words of sympathy and comfort that maybe Job was hoping for? I'm guessing probably not. In fact, I had someone shared with me, and this is because our service needs a little comic relief. Tim Hawkins does a little bit just about Job's wife, some observations. Uh, take a look at this real quick. But I just got blessed with a good wife. Not every guy has a good wife. Sorry. I mean, think about Job in the Old Testament. Think about Job's wife. She must have been a real piece of work. I mean, the devil took everything from Job, man. Killed his kids, killed his servants, killed his livestock, covered Job in boils and sores. But his wife did not die. That's saying something right there, isn't it? Like, hey, devil, Job's wife's right over there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Trust me, leave her. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
that uh, trust me lever, I know what I'm doing uh, line caught, caught my attention because clearly she wasn't the support or encouragement that he was necessarily looking for. Again, her suggestion, and that moving it back towards the serious a bit, her suggestion was to declare your independence of God and once and for all, take your life. In other words, take things into your own hands. Rather than remain under, why don't you just take your own life? And unfortunately, so often, that's the way that people's thoughts move in tragedy. God's like, don't quit on me. Don't quit on me. Don't bail out for what I have in store for you. Don't quit on me. That's what she suggested, and he corrected her in verse 10. says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Basically, Job confronting her foolishness. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Trusting God's sovereignty includes, listen to this, trusting God's sovereignty includes both the good and the bad. If you're going to say it, if you're going to say, yeah, I trust in God, like we use that platitude, yeah, I'm just putting my trust and faith in him, guess what? That includes both sides of the spectrum. It's kind of like our our marriage vows, uh, uh, through sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, like it's, it's all of it. It's the full package deal if we're going to put our trust in God. And that's exactly what he he does. And this is what's understood in other places in Scripture. I like the Apostle Paul explains this. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What a beautiful picture. In other words, I get it. I understand how to go really well, have great seasons. I understand when things get really crummy and I'm writing this letter from a prison cell. I get it when you talk about both ends of the spectrum. But the secret, what does he say? The secret to that is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all of this if I choose to lean in to him during trial. If I choose to respond to that, when I choose to admit I don't see it all, I have a limited lens, but I recognize there's something bigger going on that I don't get. I don't know how you'd uh, answer this question. If if I were to ask you, can you or are the stars still out during the daytime? The stars still out during the daytime. Think about that for a second. Now, if you go out outside, you look up in the sky, and you're like, no, they, they went away for the, the day. Like, you're like, no, that, that's not it. That's, that's, that's not it. They're still there. Your view of them is just limited by the daylight. Your view of them, they're not exposed until there's a black backdrop around them. They're not exposed until there's a black backdrop around them and the same big idea is true for us sometimes you're like man i can't i can't see it even a little bit there's no glimpse you're having to trust in what can't be seen with the naked eye 
what can't be seen. And that's what Job's having to do. He said, he's explaining to her, he's saying, listen, I can't just take the good and, and not the bad. He's saying, I got to take it all if I'm going to claim this trust thing. If I'm going to claim that I trust in him. I love it when you think about also the opportunity, when you're looking at the two different responses here, there's a drastic difference between somebody that's responding to tragedy and they're walking with the Lord and somebody that responds to tragedy when they're not. Have you guys observed this in your, in your life? There, there's panic there's de- apart from God. There's panic. There's desperation. There's a drastic measures to be taken. So, somebody that's in Christ, man, it's an awesome picture of God. I was listening to a, a message in the, the pastor. Uh, I'm not sure who actually, I think it was James McDonald said this. He says, we are here to display the superiority of a life lived in God. We're here. We're here to display the superiority of a life lived in God. Somebody that's walking with the Lord looks real different in tragedy than someone that's kind of doing their own thing. And you see that drastic difference in these two different characters. Job's wife, Job, like pretty, pretty uh, extreme differences. You think about it, it's the opportunity to put on display the superiority of when you're walking with Christ. Listen, what I have makes this more doable. What I have provides the opportunity. You ever notice when someone's going through a tragedy, uh, tragedy the natural, th- the, the, the wise thing to do just be quiet around them. You ever had somebody not be quiet when you're going through a tragedy? We're going to see that in the next couple of weeks with Job's friends. And you're like, just shut up. Anybody that, that, that's wise, it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to be quiet. Be silent. But what happens when you're quiet, when you're silent, when that person's going through the tragedy, when, when they finally speak up, your ears are, are perking. They're like, what, what are they going to say? How are they going to respond to it? How, how will they? How will they respond to the, the tragedy that they've experienced? I like Levi Lusco, who's a, a pastor that actually lost his young daughter uh, just in the last couple of years. He says that our trials are an opportunity for a product demonstration. I like that description. I don't know if anybody likes a, a product demonstration. I remember, I think I shared this before one time, watching late night TV, see this ad for Miracle Blades, and I'm like, I want to be able to cut through a shoe. You know, and so I, I'm calling the 1-800 number, and I'm, I'm ordering these things, because why? The, the product demonstration was so compelling to, to, to the eye. And, and really, if you think about it, for those of us that are trying to introduce Christ to a lost world, we might be the one product demonstration they ever see. You, got, you might just get one shot at this, where you either validate what your claims have been, when you say, you know what, God's the anchor of my soul, he's the, the rock that I stand on, and all of a sudden when it's wiped out from under you, they're watching, they're, they're saying, well, let's see if it works. See if this whole God thing works amidst the, the tragedy and the trial. You might be the one shot for this product demonstration to say, man, they stood firm. They stayed the course. They, they weren't weird and unnatural about it. They still grieved and they mourned, but they didn't shout at God. They didn't question God. They, they, they clung to what they knew about him rather than wrestling through some of the questions that take us down a dark road when we don't understand things. They were a product demonstration that makes sense. 
That's what's the awesome opportunity for us, even when we respond. And look at how he, how, how he acted. It says in the divine assessment of his response, it says, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In all of this, in all of this, he chose to not sin with his lips. I can't imagine going through all that Job did and not sinning with our lips. But here's the, here's the trick. He didn't try to do this on his own. He clung for dear life through all of this to God. He clung to what he knew about his character. He clung to what he had experienced. He clung to some big picture stuff. Uh, we started naked, we leave naked. You like all this stuff. He clung to what he knew rather than questioning what he didn't understand. And that's the invitation for each of us. And what's awesome is that I believe God gave him supernatural wisdom into his experiences. Look at this in Job 23.10. He says, he knows, we have it on the screen there, he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. He understood the bigger picture. He says, he, he knows what I'm doing. He knows what he's, he's doing, what's happening. And he knows that the outcome, the greater, bigger picture, it's going to turn to gold. That's what he was clinging to through all of this. That's what allowed him to not sin in the tragedy. And I, I want that for my life. I, I, I want to remain under. I, I, I want to remain steadfast in tragedy. I don't want to be so quick to ask the questions why. I don't want to be so quick to try to get out from under. I want to remain under because I'm confident what Job promises there is the outcome is we're going to be shaped more and more into his likeness. We're going to be, he's got our best interest in mind. I want to pass the test in front of us. I'll tell you what, this was only the beginning of the trials that he's about to face. Really, the circumstances have all played out. Now, he's about to enter into stupid advice for friends. I think that's going to be from friends. I think that's going to be something that speaks to all of us next week. But let me pray for us as we learn from this text. God, thank you so much this morning for a chance to be in your word. And I fully recognize that this is not a, a light or easy topic. A lot of us as we mentioned, already in the thick of it right now. I thank you so much for Job's example, his picture of recognizing the bigger picture of you reigning over all. We can't pick and choose what we take. That you will ultimately move us towards gold. That even the, this 10 minutes of difficulty of this lifetime will pale in comparison to eternity that you give us that picture, that you'd give us that mindset. Thank you that you promised to be an ever-present source of comfort in our trials. Pray that we explore that, we experience that, even going into this week ahead. Thank you, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. I like that line, and my heart will choose to say, so often it's a choice to how we respond to our trials and difficulty. I wanted to end our time this uh, morning. We started this new thing, if you haven't been here, to try to say our, our scripture memory verse of the week. So you guys ready to be tested on that? All right. And, and so it's always awkward because it's the question is whether I just say it or we say it together. It's Romans 6.23 for the of sin is death.
Nice job, guys. Not bad. We're improving. You're getting there. All right, next week we're in Ephesians 2.8 for your scripture memory, and we'll continue in Job. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.